Christmas, everybody. This is Monica Perez here with Anthony Raimondo, whom all my regular listeners already know. And if you don't know him, go back to the beginning at Deep Dives with Monica Perez. I'll put it in the show notes. Listen to our first conversation about Anthony's work during COVID as a pro bono hero lawyer for some of the businesses in Fresno who did not want to be illegally shut down, and he saved them from that. But I remember... Anthony, first of all, hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Happy to hear that. I'm going to tell you uh, two things. One is, I don't know if you remember this, but the one of the first things I said to you, and I believe it was off air when we met uh, before that first show, with a name like Anthony Raimondo, I asked you if you were Catholic, like a practicing Catholic. Do you remember me asking you that? I do remember that. Why do you think I asked you that? Because um, I've been thinking about why, a per, you know, why I asked you that. And I wonder if you, you know, why because, you would ask that. Well, because my last name is very Italian. And uh, St. Anthony is a favorite among the saints. Yes, Catholic. I love St. Anthony. Is, uh, what, what you didn't know is my... they hung me with the middle name Peter. So I got the full Catholic yes. treatment on my name. My son's middle name is Anthony. My first son, my grammar school was St. Anthony's. St. Anthony always helps me find stuff. But I, that's why I thought you might be Catholic. But why, did I, why do you think I cared? Well, why do you think it was a question I wanted to ask you? My guess would be that I think, number one, being Catholic yourself, I think that Catholics tend to feel a connection to each other. Um, but also I think because it, it implies a certain set of values that go beyond the, you know, the politics and the conspiracies and the, the, the good and evil of this world. There's, there's something bigger that I think anchors people, which is one of the reasons why um, I like it and it attracts me. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right. Is that the reason I asked you, that wasn't something I planned or that I ask people normally, but I didn't know you at all. I'd heard I'd heard you on, I think, Mark Claire's show, mm-hmm. and you had had this journey of like you came from the left, and then you tried libertarian and this and that, and you know, I I didn't really, and I and I knew about your work in COVID, and I wanted to just get a sense of where we would connect on our values. Not that I wanted, you know, if if you were something else, I wouldn't, <clears throat> I would not come into that with judgment, I just would know that we might come from a different perspective on what we think is right and wrong and what we think is important. And it just makes things easier. So like multiculturalism, in my opinion, makes things harder because you have to start from scratch. I mean, my good example is like some cultures, they uh, like exaggerating is part of the culture. So here, something that would sound like a lie <laughs> would not be a lie in some cultures. And you could as, be mad as an Italian-American. I can't imagine that to be so. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I was just thinking <laughs> of some Latins I know from South America. And they're just like, whatever. I was just saying, you yeah, know, and I'm we, like, oh, I thought you legitimately like ran that city. I didn't know. I think I think what we share in, in Italian and Latin culture, I think one of the things that we share is we're kind of boisterous, enthusiastic, passionate people. So, you know, you got to give the story some fire. And if that's yes. the story a little bit, hey, you know, who's, who, who gets hurt if it's a good story? I know I have some of that too, but I, in my, actually, I'm probably more on that end of the spectrum. But when I went to law school and I would say stuff that was 
mostly true, but only really worth hearing if it had a little flourish added on the end. Like people, they were a little humorless. I feel like it was a little bit of a humorless crowd. But, you know, it's just these kind of things. It helps to understand where somebody else's value system are because it's just a little more efficient. You don't have to worry about being misunderstood as easily. You know what your starting points are. But before we got on today, you said to me, you know, or we asked each other how how you were. And I was like, well, I'm slightly unwell because I have a cold, not super sick, but have a cold. So I'm probably coughing and whatever, but I feel okay. But I did not do myself any favors because last night I was invited to a quintessential LA show and I felt like I had to go, even though I had never been to the venue before. And well, that's especially why, but I had never heard of this band before ever. And perchance I thought that you had. So I'm going to put up a picture of, I think I posted this on Insta earlier if I if I did it correctly. So the the show I saw last night was X mm-hmm. at the Roxy. So it was like a psychedelic punk band, whatever. It really made me feel like Julie when Randy took her to his club in Valley Girl. And I realized I had one of the best times of my entire life was at this place last night. It was fantastic. It was one of those bands where it didn't matter if I had never heard, I never even listened to the genre before. It was a fantastic show. And uh, so I told you about it thinking, ah, you know, Anthony's had quite a, you know, interesting journey. Maybe he's, he was in SoCal for a while. Maybe he, he's heard of X and do what you did to me. Show me what you showed me. He got up from his chair. He walked over to the wall. He took a picture off the wall. And it is, but this is for audio listeners. uh, An autographed poster from a 40th anniversary show. It wasn't an exciting thing. I paid for a VIP ticket package and this was part of like the gift package. But yeah, I know X and I'll actually tell you one better that I didn't tell you before. Um, So it's an X poster on his wall. Like what are the odds? What I grew up in, some, in Southern California in the 70s and 80s. I was born in 1971. So that can kind of place you where I was in that era. And right. So you're a little that, young, actually, for X. No, the kids that were like older than us that we looked up to right. were like going to the shows. Right, but that right, music right, right. was all around. In fact, yeah. at that time, like, I mean, for your, for your Southern California listeners from that era, like, I, I mean, I just I have vivid memories of listening to Rodney on the Rock on K-Rock where you, at night where he would play stuff like X and television and all this amazing music that was going on at the time outside of the mainstream. You couldn't hear that stuff anywhere else. Yeah. So in the world that I lived in, I thought X were like the Rolling Stones because like, as you say, I was younger, but all oh, the yeah. older kids, like teenagers that I thought were cool were all into X heard the music all the time. The stickers were up everywhere. You know, obviously, you know, people had homemade t-shirts all the time. Like they just seemed larger than life, huge band. I thought they were huge rock stars. So I graduated from high school. And of course, this is the pre-internet world. So things were not expanded the way they are now. I, uh, I go to college in Colorado Springs, Colorado. No one there had ever even heard of them. Definitely not. And I was just, I mean, it was one of the things that blew me away when I, wow. when I left my little nest. So, yeah, so I go way back with that. I that's love that just, name. I mean, that, don't you think that's kind of a, an amazing coincidence that, that I just happened to have mentioned that to you and thinking maybe, that you might like it? It's hanging no, on your... Maybe there, there are, are no coincidences, Monica. 
There are no Christmas. And it's not like your walls are covered with band posters. I don't see any anything on your no, walls. I, uh, I have no. <laughs> I see I think a Gallagher that's machine <laughs> or whatever. But uh, I have, you know, I have an autographed boxing poster. I have some car yeah. stuff. I have diplomas and law yeah. licenses and funny. So, yeah. well. What we actually met in person, we kind of were close enough to meet halfway and it was super, super fun to hang out with you. And I just absolutely love being in real space with people. I mean, it's the difference maker. The feds wouldn't get nearly as much of a ground, uh, a foothold in people's minds if, if, I mean, the upside of podcasting and videoing stuff is that we have so much more reach, but the downside is you just, you can't. See, you can't vibe somebody's soul on a screen. Yep. So it was fun to vibe your soul, Anthony. And uh, and we talked about, but another another synchronicity between us is that I was away from the church for many years. I mean, you know, a couple of decades probably. And I went back to the church. I have my own story, very specific kind of story. But uh, you also had a spiritual, or I actually consider mine like a religious, I don't, I, I don't even consider myself too spiritual. I'm more religious person, but I just thought it would be interesting to hear about, you know, your kind of, you know, moral, spiritual, ethical, religious value journey because all those things seem to go together in my mind. Um, well, I grew up as, as you mentioned, I grew up in the church. Um, I grew up in Southern California, and my father's heritage was out of. Philadelphia. He was like the one who left the old neighborhood and went west to California. But he was old school Italian Catholic. So my sister and I grew up in the church, you know, first communion, confirmation. Where? Here in LA? In LA. Right. Uh, in LA. <clears throat> um, in fact, I was actually thinking about this the other day. The, the area that I grew up in in LA was very affluent and there was a very large, Jewish population and a very large Asian population, you know, as well as, you know, what we would sort of all call like various European immigrant strains of white people, right? Uh, and, and to use, the, to use the, the language of the left. But, Can you tell me what town? Do you mind? You don't have to. Um, I'd rather not. All right, but it's in, in the 30 mile zone as Courtney. In, in Los Angeles County. Yeah, TMZ, right. Okay. So it, uh, it we weren't, we were stranger for being Catholic than kids who were Jewish for being Jewish, which was something I never noticed until much later when I moved to Fresno and my kids went to schools where there were virtually no Jewish kids right. at all. And of course, because there's a large Mexican population there, every other kid was Catholic. Right. So, um, yeah, so I we, grew up in, uh, I've mentioned this before, the most Jewish county in America. So... But I went to a Catholic school, so I, it was highly cordoned off. It was like the Irish and the Italians ex and so, me, and yeah. then like, but it was also in towns like like the towns were. There's an Irish town, there's an Italian town, there's a Jewish town, and I actually I like that. I like that people had their own cultures and they also got to experience each other. And there was just no end to the great food, for example. This was this see this was this was West Coast where so. You know, you have the East Coast has a certain stratification that I think goes back to the migration of people to the East Coast and these cultures. A lot of that got jumbled up in the West Coast. So 
we just like grew up side by side with these kids. Some of my best friends were Jewish kids. I probably, I'm, I'm not probably, I know 100%. I went to more bar mitzvahs as a guest <laughs> than I went to confirmations as a guest. Uh, just nice. because, And it just all seemed very normal. Like, okay, they had a different church and that was kind of weird. But as a Catholic kid, honestly, I thought a lot of the the like Protestant, especially the more like fundamentalist kids that we knew were evangelical. I actually, as a Catholic, thought that was way weirder. Right. Me too. Then I, mean, I don't like the weird sounds a little judgmental, but I I mean, I'm not faulting you. I'm not gonna echo that, but I I definitely felt more um I clicked way better with the Jewish kids and the Catholic kids, and Protestant was totally I, I didn't I did not click at all with the Protestant. Well, I think having had the opportunity, like I said, to attend a few bar mitzvahs, I think the ritual, like the ritual aspect of the ceremony and kind of the the solemnity of it. It's formal. It was very formal, very structured. Um, there was a lot of like recitation at certain times or certain, like it was very familiar to me. As you know, the Catholic mass has a certain rhythm to it. Yeah. And then, like, we had family friends who were in, you know, various types of, like, I, and I hate to be awful about this, but this is what happens when you're raised Catholic. Like, they drill into you that one true church thing, right? Oh, yeah. So I don't even know the difference between these various types of Protestantism. They're just, like, other yeah. kinds of Christians. And, you know, it, we went to some of these churches, and it was all loosey-goosey, and they're doing stuff all over the place. And I'm like, this is not... This is not how this is supposed to no, work. No, I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't get the point. That's, but I'm religious. I'm not and spiritual. You talk, you talk I'm about religious. culture. So anyway, let me kind of catch myself up because some, sure. some of the things you said rang, rang home so, so much. So anyway, grew up in the church. And then as a teenager, as teenagers do in my late teens, I kind of rebelled against it. You know, and I told my dad, I don't want to go anymore. I don't believe any of this. It, you know, why are you making me, me do this? And he, I eventually broke him down and he relented and I didn't have to go to mass Whoa. Um, How old were you? I don't know. Probably 17, 18, right? It was right at the end of high school. I came home. Once my dad said to me on a Sunday, mom said you didn't go to church today. You go to church next Sunday or you move out by next Sunday. And I moved out. There was no relenting. And I actually wasn't even committed to not going to church. I just didn't. I I just didn't. It was a challenge and I took it. Well, I think he knew that I was about to go to college anyway. And he's not going to be able to make me go there. So, you know, I think he just, and and frankly, I was a pain in the ass and he was just tired of listening to it. So he's like, whatever, you know, I think in his mind, he's not here, so I can't ask him, but I'm sure his feeling was, you know what, you want to go to hell? Fine. I try. (laughs) I'm about at that point myself or my kids. You're right. Do what you want. So anyway, I completely turned away from, as I've talked before about on like, as you mentioned on Mark's show, I was a very normal, you know, college student at a private liberal arts college, right? They introduced me to a lot of left-wing ideology. There were two But your dad who, wasn't left-wing, was he? No. In fact, it, my, my mother used to always tease my father because my mother is a very middle-of-the-road Democrat, and she used to uh, tease him all the time because he voted for Nixon. <laughs> and of Even course, my at, dad didn't vote for Nixon. <laughs> at the time, I was like, yeah, mom, ha, ha. Now I'm like, man, dad, maybe you, maybe you were on to something. <laughs> <laughs> my dad would always vote for like the third party, whatever. My dad came from that old school mm-hmm. Italian Catholic, right? So especially in those days, his moral values aligned much more closely with Republicans than Democrats. Yeah, um, I mean, I remember my parents talked, you know, like news and current events and politics at the house, 
but I don't remember my, you know, it was also, I don't remember my father being like, you know, sort of like bloodthirsty one way or the other. He worked in the defense industry during the Cold War. Um, Anthony. Yeah. He that's, worked, some, that's a deep state revelation. Oh my goodness. I need to go through it someday. So my father traveled to places like Russia and China at the peak of the Cold War when Americans Whoa. were not allowed in there. Wow. Because they, they were like exceptions were made because they were doing, they were private defense contractors. Um, and he worked on a lot of the early versions of GPS that the military was using. And he traveled all over the world. He took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photographs. He would be gone for weeks at a time to like the Soviet Union. In we're talking wow. 1978, maybe. And he has pictures. Do you have the pictures? We have all the pictures. My mom oh, has my. probably racked their old slides. Remember slides? You yeah. know, their mm -hmm. old color slides. He would he would take pictures the whole when he would come home after being gone for three weeks or so, he would do these slideshows and show us slideshows of the Soviet Union at the height of communism. Of we had he had um, I remember he came back from China and it was when everybody still wore the Mao suits and like, I mean, I need to have my mom give me that stuff and kind of go through it all. Yeah, so anyway, I'm getting off track. So anyway, normal left-wing college student at a very liberal, private liberal arts school in Colorado. Um, from there, I went to law school. When I got out of law school, I would say politically, I was still pretty left-wing, but a little bit disillusioned. Um, and I voted third party lot. I've my whole life as a registered voter, I've never registered with any party except for about three months during COVID when I was trying to court the libertarians to what I was doing. I, I registered with the libertarian party oh, nice. of credibility with what they were doing. And when I found out they weren't doing anything, I jumped back to my, my natural home of declined estate. I had um, to register just for the record, Republican, so I could vote vote for Ron Paul in the primaries in Georgia. So, but you know, I was fully, I was you know, in those days, I was probably, I would say, I was fully kind of brainwashed to the left. Um, I probably talked a pretty good game of you know, so called left wing ideology, more to impress girls than anything else. Because remember, I nice. live in California. So, um, and at any rate, eventually, I graduated from law school. I met my wife family started and I really became not very political and I never really returned to religion. We talked about like when our kids were born that, you know, maybe we wanted to raise them in some type of religious tradition because that was something that was meaningful for both of us as kids. But at that time I still had these weird resentments towards the Catholic church and I just pushed the whole thing away. I think my wife wanted to go back. At was that she point. liberal? Yeah, we both were. Um, and she wanted to like, go back. I think she kids. wanted to go back to the Catholic church much sooner than I did for the kids or for yeah. her own. For her own. You know, I mean, for her own, I mean, I, th I think for herself and for the kids. And so then I, I started having experiences that uh, I don't know. I had a, I had a crisis of my faith in atheism, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. Right. As what I was, it? the way these things go, there's no single thing. Like there's, there's these moments where, as I, the way I describe it is God reaches out and touches the back of your neck, right? Hey, I'm here. And then you turn around and you don't see it. <laughs> but there's this moment you can't deny and you can't explain that if you're honest with yourself, it occurs. So there were a few things. Right before COVID, 
my father's, my father passed away in 2008. His youngest brother, his younger brother, who was significantly younger than him. I mean, he was, their father died when my uncle was young. So my father kind of raised him. And so my, my uncle passed away, my, my, my father's younger brother. And he and I were not close at all. And, and he lived in Texas. And honestly, we weren't closer. And so I wasn't really planning on going to the funeral. Like, why am I going to go to Texas? We really hadn't talked much in years. What? But something, something got to me. Okay. Something that I can't explain that my father would want me to go. And years ago, when I was in, I think when I was in college, maybe law school, I think it was college, uh, a cousin that I didn't even know died uh, in a horrible accident. And my parents were, were traveling. It was a, a family that my father was very close to in Philadelphia. And he like called me up and he did the Italian thing of, I need you to go and represent the family at the funeral because I can't be there. Okay. And that image came back to me. You know, here we are years and years, you know, after even my father's long gone, but that I needed to go for him. So I went and my mother had already told me she had a very complicated relationship with my uncle and she'd already told me she wasn't going to go. And as soon as I told her I was going to go, she said, well, I'm going to go with you. And she told me later that after it was, after the trip was, it actually turned out to be a really good trip. Uh, and it was meaning, really valuable for all of us to go. Uh, and it was the right thing to do. Um, and I remember my mother saying to me that she wouldn't have been able to go if I hadn't gone. She couldn't have gone by herself just because of the complexity of her emotions about, you know, she had known my uncle since he was 17 years old. Remember, my father was much older. So, um, and that that was very significant to her and to put closure on that relationship at, by going to the funeral was very, very meaningful. And while we're there, we hung out with one of my other cousins who is the daughter of my grandmother's sister. And, in, and for Italians, they're all just cousins. We just say cousins like we don't do first, second. You're just cousins. Okay, so this is my cousin was there who's much, so she's much older than me um, and her husband. And at one point we're all talking and she's the person who's like, she's like the, the, the oral historian of the family. She remembers all the stories and she loved to talk and you would actually, you would, you would just love her. She says to me, uh, turns to me at a conversation we're having and she says, I'm an Italian, I'm a Catholic and I'm an American in that order. Uh, and that stuck with me and what really stuck with me is something pushed me to go there. Something pushed me to go. It's not the kind of thing that I would normally do, but something, right? Something pushed me to go. And then I started having these other little moments. One of them, I think I've even told you about. I was driving to visit my son. So this started getting these wheels turning and I started, I travel a lot. I drive around a lot. I never fly, as you know, and I drive around with my dogs and I, I take tons of road trips. I have a, I have a 2023 vehicle that I picked up in November of last year that has 45,000 miles on it. Wow. And it's not wow. the only car. And it's not the only car that I drive. Wow. I <laughs> so I drive a lot, which is good for my sanity because I think through a lot of things when I'm on the road. So I start thinking about existence and God and these things. Um, and more and more, I'm just reaching this conclusion that. I've been deluding myself for years with this idea that, you know, I can't see it, so it's not real. There's no God. That that was a trick that I bought into. And I was a fool for buying into it. And that actually, 
undeniable evidence was all around me that I was experiencing on a regular basis, but simply closing myself off to. And once I reached that conclusion, sort of these events started accelerating where there's this feeling, like I said, that I can't describe where you're this feeling of what I call being in the presence of God, like that feeling of how small you are, how big the universe, how magical it is that we have this life in this place, that there's this, it's funny, I was talking to my son about this last night. There's an animating spirit to life that is not contained in the flesh, right? We feel it all around us if you open yourself to it. And like, do you think a human being is simply a machine made out of organic matter? I, if you do, I hope not, because that's a terrible way to view the world, right? We're animated by a force and a spirit that is not in the physical. And it seems un incontrovertible once you start thinking about it, that it, that it really can't be any other way. So I had a moment when I was on the road going to visit my, my one son in Texas. I stopped in a small town called Lamar, Colorado, which probably no, no one here's ever heard of, which is in like southeastern Colorado on the way to Texas from Oregon. Um, and I stayed at this hotel on the edge of town and I always travel with my dog. And so I take him out after dark uh, for a walk and it's a really clear night. And it happens there's this park behind the hotel, this little park that has these two small paws. I guess people can fish in. And there's little trails that go around. So he's a really good dog. I can take him off a leash and let him enjoy himself. And he never run off. So I let him go off the leash and take a nice walk. On it. it was a very clear night, full moon. So it was very bright out, even though it was, it, it was nighttime. And I stopped at this little spot where I had a little overlook over this pond. And there was a railing. And I'm looking out of the water. And there's ducks. And the moon is there. And it wasn't any space. Like, this is not some national park or some spectacular place. It's a little park in a small town in the middle of nowhere. But then I had this moment like of just like, you know, mystery of life kind of thing. I can't put words to it. But you keep having these feelings and eventually you can't deny them. So as I was drawn back to God, I decided that the Catholic Church is the vehicle by which I think I can find that. And it's a hard thing because I'm sure you've dealt with this. There are a lot of flaws with the Catholic Church, especially with our current Pope. But as you mentioned before, you talked about culture and my cousin's words keep coming back to me. Like for whatever, for better or for worse, whatever judgment people want to put on it, my family and myself, like I feel a cultural connection to the Catholic church from growing up in it, from the way my family is connected to it. And I feel like if I'm going to go down this journey of finding a relationship with God, that's the mechanism and the place for which that needs to occur because of that history. Does that make sense? Yes, I have a lot of a lot of responses to the things that you're saying. So just, I will, in just a few sentences, <clears throat> say my actual path back to the church was kind of opposite from that. I wasn't like looking for something. We had uh, a tragedy in my family and I, you know, I knew my mom, was super sad and I knew the only thing she cared about was that her kids returned to the church and I also like I had three kids in diapers my <clears throat> my wheels were shooting off all over the place I was not in a good spot myself and I just made a decision like as a gift to her and as kind of an experiment I would return to the church and I said I'll just do this for five years and if at the end of that time my life is the same or worse then I don't feel like I have to keep on with that. But my life was way, way better to the point where my kids actually 
uh, when they were of school age, I put them in Catholic school. I just thought I was going to do it for like a year. Just it was like the I didn't have a lot of options. They loved it and wanted to stay. And my husband of his own accord converted just at, given the example. And it was just much better for our lives. I'm a huge believer in uh, in just very clear, objective morals and the the test of time. Like even if you take pharmaceuticals, like if it's been around for 50 years, it's probably been vetted. I don't even like new houses. Like I just, I want stuff that's vetted. And Catholicism is like the obvious choice, but of course I was raised Catholic. So to me, it's the only possibility. Like it was absolutely drilled into my head that you can't, like you're really basically going to go to hell. If like, if I were to convert to another religion, I would have no, I would have no, no explanation to St. Peter. Like I would not, he'd be like, well, I didn't know, you know, I'm, I grew up in Papua New Guinea. As I said earlier, I was joking, but I wasn't joking that my father's reaction was probably like, oh, you want to go to hell? Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. That would have been to him. Like, oh, you want to stop going to church? You want to walk away from the church? Then you're going to hell. Like there's no, there's no other answer than that. My father basically said that when he found out I bleached my teeth, he was like, oh, (laughs) oh, you're, you're vain. You must not believe in God. And he was also, when I was like, I wasn't sure about the Pope's infallibility. And there's actually, the, I think the Congress of Cardinals is also considered, they can speak ex cathedra. And he's like, I knew when you said that, that you were lost. And I wonder, but, they, but the Pope rarely speaks ex cathedra. So that's not really that big a deal. But I, I'm sure he would absolutely despise uh, Papa Frank. But so I, um, I, do, I do understand that one of the points that you made so for me, it's a very obvious choice. I don't know enough about other religions to know how, if I if there's any flaws in their morality. I, I went on a hike with a, an Israeli guy once, like he was a, an older guy. It was a group hike that you just paid for. And he was there, super well-educated guy. And he did his, what he called his Friday thing. I did a little ritual <clears throat> with his daughter. And he was grilling me about, why I was Catholic. And I was like, well, you know, it just, the morals make sense. It's like all major religions basically have the same morals. And that's probably not totally true anyway. I don't think that's true at all. No. And, and he just didn't, he, he felt like the, the assertion that, you know, it was, I, I agreed with it. It was born of ignorance, but I don't really know a lot about other religions. And this absolutely works for me. I love it all. I love the ritual. I, I feel like even going to church on Sunday where people think it's a beating, spirituality, religion, it's a practice. Even the yo- yoga will tell you that. Like, it's a practice. That's what yoga is for, so that you can meditate because spirituality is not an intellectual endeavor. It's a practice, and you have to get in the practice of doing things, including corporal works of mercy. I mean, I just feel like it keeps us in line. It keeps us controlling ourselves. It keeps us um, taking care of other people, charity. I mean, it's just, I like the system and I'm weirdly not threatened at all by all the scandals, all the flack. Um, I can't stand Pope Francis because I was raised by such religious, such traditional religious people that they, first of all, always warned us that the church was targeted and infiltrated, if not for for centuries, at least for decades, that absolutely there were, you know, masons everywhere, which, you know, they weren't being conspiranoid. There are 
like, I believe a Mason cannot be a priest, for example, or even maybe a Catholic. So they definitely had that. They saw the infiltration. And what they always taught me was the, the church is the people and, you know, institutions and uh, authorities and stuff. They can be fallible, except for in that rare instance when the church speaks on matters of faith and moral from morals from the throne of Peter. But the worst thing you could possibly do when people say they abandon the church because of the issues, I'm like, that's the church needs you. You can't abandon no, the yeah, church. We, we need people who are upset by it. Yes, you've got to stay. And, and I really worry about a schism. But anyway, so yes, those are some of my, you know, and I believe that it's the, the threat, the attack on the church from inside and out is because it is probably the biggest threat. It's a big, it's, an, it's a Western style organization, which means it has the institutions to battle the globalist powers that emerge from the West. And I think they've, they've probably, I don't know how the church will ever recover from Pope Francis. Well, and it has deep, it has deep, deep power in the third world. Mm. You got I mean, you got to remember that I think actually one of the, one of the, the things that frightens those who would want to create a more global centralized world. One of the reasons why the Catholic church as an institution is a threat to that is because so many, it, it, the church has been so successful in the third world and all across Latin America, even Africa, even the, you know, there's Catholicism remains strong in the Middle East. I mean, Asia. Yeah. Asia. Catholicism. Well, I mentioned, I grew up a lot of, there were a lot of, uh, Asian, especially Koreans, where I grew up, most of them were Catholics. We went really? To with, we went to church with those Koreans? I, th I thought Vietnamese, Filipinos, but, but I did not realize we went, to, we, went to, we went to church with a number of Korean families as a Interesting. kid. Interesting. So I do want to say a couple of things about what you, what you said, because you, you, you caught my, my ear on a few things. And I, you know, I think you're right. It's so funny that we exist in this world of so-called, like, you know, conspiracy theory, whatever. I mean, it's an easy catch. It's an easy piece of language to capture this sort of critical view of what is presented to us in our, in our manufactured reality that we live in. The church is a threat to that. So we are, we're so easy to think in this world of how different institutions have been infiltrated and corrupted that are a threat to quote unquote this, you know, this elite or the regime or whatever you want to call it. Well, of course, of course, Catholicism would be so, another institution and perhaps a primary institution because you have an institution that is based on the idea that there are certain moral values that we have followed for th literally thousands of years <laughs> yes. changed, inflexible to the political and social turmoil that may exist around, around us. And well, they focus on the individual, the dignity and spiritual well-being of the well, individual. If you believe that there are elites that are trying to reshape the world into an entirely different moral and social and cultural framework, and a collective like institution that preaches bedrock moral values that remain unchanged for thousands of years, independent of the swings of social movements, is a, something you have to destroy. Right. And as you say, you would have to. Yeah, it will not work. You cannot have the pure collective. Yeah, and that, and, and and as you say, you know the 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 church really is the people, and you know, like any institution, it can be it can be harmed. You know, most most in the worst ways from within. Um, but one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode with you is because, you know, 
it's interesting to hear how much I think one of the things that's really positive. We like everyone likes to talk about what's what's negative about the world is right now. I think one of the things that's amazingly positive is I see all around me people that I knew who a year ago were like either completely agnostic, didn't care about religion, or outright atheist. I see all these people that I know having religious awakenings of various types, and I think that's a really, really positive thing that's happening in the world. But I think a lot of times when it gets presented um, in any sort of media environment, whether it's a mainstream media environment or this sort of more alternative media environment, it's presented from the perspective of a large degree of like clarity and, and purpose of path that needs to be followed and certainty. And for me, I'm going through this thing that I feel like I'm not entirely in control of. Like this journey of faith within the church and trying to find this relationship with God. You said it's not an intellectual exercise. And I think that's such a, a brilliant insight because it's not like, in fact, an intellectual exercise is the antithesis of yes. and the enemy of. You have to let go of that yes. part of yourself. That's what I do. I have to actually like pray for that. I'm like, I made that commitment of five years. I said, I will let my intellect just lay idle on this one and just stop wasting my time questioning me. There's no proof. There's no, or whatever that I, whether there is or not, I'm not finding it. I'm not making any progress on that. And it's, a, I, and, it's, and it's a challenge and it's a journey and it's hard. And one of the things that I, again, that I love about Catholicism is it does demand of you, right? It's not, you can't just walk into the Catholic church and be like, okay, I'm good. Right. It demands a lot of you. Um, and like, you know, for example, I still don't take communion because there are things that I feel that I am not right with in the church that I need to talk to the priest about. You have to, you um, have, you got to resolve that. The sacraments I mean, well, are the, the big thing. I cried I know, it's, when it's, it's lockdown very, took the, took it's wine very, away. It's very, it's very important to me, but there's some things that I think I need to address and atone <sighs> for and I haven't had the guts to walk into that confessional and deal with those things. That's my failure. And the reason I'm talking about this stuff is because, it, you know, I, I want other people who are feeling these things that you don't have to feel like you know, like what your path directly is. Like the hardest part to me of this journey of faith I've realized is finding that place where we have humility before God and we, we give up ourselves in a way where we find we find that true humility. That's I'm I'm not I'm an arrogant person. I'm cocky. I'm brash. Whatever, right? Like I've been successful in life, and I it's hard for me to do that. It's not easy for me to find that place of humility, and I think that's part of the challenge. And as I've been on this journey, and I've started going back to church, and it hasn't been a straight line. It's you know there's been a couple of times where I felt like okay, I'm on my way, like. I'm in the routine, like, this is great, this is going good, and something happens that kind of knocks me sideways. That all falls back on me, right? It's, it's, I am in this, it's a challenge. Like, it's not easy to truly find and be on, find that path of faith and get yourself, when you've been away for a long time, as I have, I think it's, you have to work on yourself to get right with your relationship with God. So I want people to know that if they feel like challenged by that, it doesn't mean they have to give up. In fact, they shouldn't. It means they need to confront the things that are challenging them and try to let go of that intellectual part of it and feel it rather than think it, if that makes sense. 
Yes, it does make sense. And I have to say, when at the beginning of that journey of return that I um, went on, I remember sitting outside the church and I knew I had to go to confession. And I don't think I'd been to confession in like 18 years. Um, and no, I, I had been, but it was, I had to really, it was big. And my mother said, well, you'll go to confession. She says, yeah, go to confession. And all the grace will come pouring in and you'll never leave the church again. You just won't do it. You won't be able to do it. And she was right. And that was, I think that was like maybe 16 years ago, 17 years ago at least. And, uh, and she was right about that. And since then, there was one other time I had something like you, you like, I just, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I feel like I left something out and then I went. I went to, it wasn't that long ago. There was, they have like a mat, like rapid fire confession, like right before Easter and right before Christmas. So the priest said, look, we don't have a lot of time. There's hundreds of people here. Just get in and get out. Just say what you have to say. Just say and get in and get out. And I was like, this is my chance. (laughs) So I went in and I said my thing and the guy, and I was like, sorry, you know, so I just lay that on you. I got to go though, <laughs> you know, and, and it totally worked. But I have to say, receiving the sacraments, like going to communion gives me such absolutely overwhelming joy, brings tears to my eyes when, and, but I'm gluten-free. I can't, I can't eat, cannot eat regular Eucharist. So I would just drink the wine and at COVID, they shut it down. You couldn't have wine anymore. And I, boy, did I cry. And I just love it. I'm so grateful every time. So you must, you simply must, you must take care of this immediately. Well, I was on my way. So one of my, one of the bumps in my road is we started, um, when we moved here to the town we're in now, we started attending the local Catholic church. There's a small Catholic church here, beautiful little church with old wood paneling inside. It's really, really neat, really small, really small, lovely. And the priest there uh, was this young priest who was was relatively new from what I understood, a uh, Filipino guy. And I really liked this guy. Like, he was really good about taking the readings in mass and, like, using them to challenge you and, like, stuff that he would say really, like, hit home. Mm-hmm. So I went to confession. I kind of explained my story to him. And I'm like, you know, I really want to get myself back right with the church and with God. And he was very enthusiastic about it and was like, I'm getting settled in here, but I totally want to work with you and I want to work with your wife and this is going to be great. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, and he was, even though he was young, he was very old school, very like Mm -hmm. conservative bedrock Catholic, like very familiar to me from what I was used to. And so, uh, I start volunteering with the church. They were, fixing up a house for him that was kind of the house that the church owned. It needed like new flooring and yard work and stuff like that. So I go over there with a bunch of guys and we put new floors in and we landscaped the yard and like, um, so that he would have a place to live. And this would all be really, you know, this would be good for the community because they hadn't had stability with the priest at all. Right. So right after we finished this project, right at the end of the project, we go to church and he announces at the start of Mass that this is going to be his last Mass and he's leaving. Why? And then at the end of Mass, they literally had dudes from like, there's like a parish council and they had dudes from the parish council and they had all his bags packed and they literally took him directly from the church after Mass, Whoa. put him in a truck and whisked him away. What happened? 
You didn't get the skinny on that? Come on. Nobody nobody ever told me. And I'll be honest, I was angry. Because I'm like, just... So I'm like, wait a minute. So what, did you guys know that we were not going to use this? Like, right. I volunteered for the house. Because of him. So we would have a stable place to have a priest yeah. in our parish. That not is so The fishy. church could keep the house up, take him out. You got to figure it out. And rent it, then rent the place. Like, I don't know what they ever did, did with it. I've driven by the house. It looks like somebody's living there. I bet they rented it. Uh, oh, that would be awful. But you've got to find out the skinny about this priest. I'm new here. I don't know anybody. <sighs> so, so we, so we went, we started going to mass cause we were upset about that. So we started, we started going to mass at the, the closest larger town, which is about a 40 minute drive from here in a very nice church. And I liked the priest there, but he's a, vi- I don't know. He's a very uncreative priest in some ways. Like he's just not. He's very a very nice man. He's very committed, but he he just does the mass, and there's he's not bringing that little extra. And it yeah. also he's not going to help you crack the code. And it didn't feel like you know I kind of want to go in my home. Yeah, church. of course. So we've started going again now locally, where they've brought this older priest, and we actually sat down and had coffee with him after mass a couple weeks ago. And I really like him and I like the people there. And so we started to go, uh, go locally again. And now I need, to, I need to muster up the guts to go and see him yeah. uh, at confession. You can uh, also find a priest, like a specific priest. Like I know two priests I would definitely, who could really raise the game. Uh, it doesn't have to be. If it's not a big thing like that, it doesn't have to be your local priest. Well, I want to. I want to try it locally. Okay, Good. it's it's you know. Uh, I have two bigger picture things I want to talk to you about. Okay. Well, one I just want to say we don't have to talk about it, but I although I have had one or two mystical experiences, and intellectually, I really cannot think of an, any possibility other than you know some some force or entity outside this system that is so much greater than this system that we cannot, I cannot even conceive of its nature. So I feel like not God or atheism or any of that is just not, I just logically cannot, I can't dismiss the possibility of a God, but on the other hand, it's, I don't have this like, oh yes, definitely God has a face and he knows my name. And when I die, we're going to, you know, whatever, I'm going to walk through gates and all that. I think it's possible. I hope so. But I don't have that like overwhelming faith. I am absolutely positively committed to Pascal's wager, 100%. Like there, if if you live like there's no God and there is, you're, you're out of luck. But if you live like there is a God, and this is a yoga thing too, it's that Swami Sachi Dananda said like the question of the existence of God is unanswerable and irrelevant because the way to live, the answer to the way to live is the same if you're pursuing happiness in this life or the next life, and that is to free yourself from desire. So it is, as my mother says, a better way to live. I'm totally committed to that. There's not, I don't think anything's going to move me away from that. But I do worry that what you said, like a lot of people are turning back to the church or a church or going Orthodox or whatever. 
And I do worry within the Catholic Church that there are, uh, that we are being set up for a schism and that it would totally leave the the Pope Francis type, you know, that the whatever in the Vatican. And then there would be this like schismatic, allegedly, you know, trad cat people who really just totally divided up the power of the church. And, and that would be the end of it, in my opinion. Okay, so can I get, speculatively conspiratorial yeah, about sure. our local priest that you you were so curious about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just speculate. I so love he that. And I got, it's fun. Excuse me. He and I got talking a lot while I was working on that house. Like It was really cool. Like We were tearing out floors together like we're on our, on our hands and knees tearing out floors and stuff. Nice, yeah. And so while we're doing that, you know, I'm kind of telling him about where I'm coming from and he's talking about the church and like, it was it was amazing. Like, this guy was really, really like there. But like, he was also excited about my interest. And he was like, yes, you have to get more deeply involved with the church. We need people like you. I know you think like you've fallen away, but like people who are coming back because they're feeling the call of faith, like that's what we need. Like the yeah. church needs you. And when he found that I was a lawyer, he starts asking me, telling me, he's like, well, we need, the Catholic church has its own laws internally. And there is a shortage of lawyers who can practice within the church's own administrative structure. I guess the church has some sort of administrative and adjudicative structure internally within the bureaucracy of the Catholic church, which of course, right, is a very large centralized institution. It only makes sense that they so have- like annulments kind of, and stuff? Because I've been involved, not on my behalf, but in an annulment process. I never got that far yeah. with it. He's like- There are lawyers, but he, yeah. But he really wanted me to get That's involved cool. in this practice of church law and volunteer for the church in that, in that regard. And then, of course, he was gone, so I never found out where that was. Hmm. But I couldn't help but feel like maybe this guy crossed to the wrong people politically because he was so outspoken. He was very fiery and very, like, old school on morality and the church. I mean, I mentioned to him once that, like, I had concerns about the Pope, and he was just not hearing it. He's like, you, the I, you know, the church is the voice of God and the Pope is in charge of the church, which, I mean, I you get You have to it. pray for the Pope, but you don't, you don't have to but I mean, have no concerns. But when he would talk about like moral things, it was very, very old school, like no wavering. I want of, you to offline, give me his name and I'll try to figure it out. I have his cell phone. I texted him. I texted him after he left. And did and he wished, text you back? And wished him well. And he texted me back and he told me basically that my journey in the church had nothing to do with him and everything to do with God and nice. to keep doing what I was doing and whether he was there or not didn't matter. Interesting. So I hope he's well wherever he is. Yes. So do uh, we all. But so I'm in a different spot than you. I find this really interesting, right? You are really, really, really solid in the church. And then God, you have... Yeah, so no, I struggle with faith. No question about that. I'm just too intellectual. The only I'm not thing like patting myself on the back. I just, I'm math. I'm just, and I see math. I see God in math, but I just, it's hard for me to fully grasp. part of this that is carrying me along in a lot of my confusion and twisted path that I'm on is the one thing that I absolutely feel 100% unwavering certainty of is that there is a God, that God is real. And I have, I have, when I talked earlier about feeling 
that hand on the back of my neck, God touched me on the back of the neck. I didn't say that metaphorically. It's a physical sensation that I have felt. And I can't deny that presence. People can think I'm crazy, whatever. I think many, many people totally know what you're talking about. But I have experienced this and I've experienced this more than once. And, you know, I mentioned uh, when we were off, offline before we started, you know, as a young person, I had no interest in the church. It was the 90s. I lived primarily in California, in Southern California, uh, in the early 90s and in the late 90s in the Bay Area. Especially in the early 90s, I was living a very kind of hedonistic lifestyle, music. I lived in, uh, once I was out of my parents' house, I, moved, I lived in Santa Monica. I had, this is what a different time it was. I lived in a rent-controlled apartment right near Santa Monica Airport, for people who know the area, on the border of Santa Monica and Venice. Uh, one-bedroom apartment, rent-controlled, $350 a month. How did you give that up? You should have like, le- you should have just left it there empty. Honestly, I had to get it out of L.A. because I felt like I was playing Russian roulette in L.A. and sooner or later, something was going to go bad. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. Something was going to happen. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, I was starting to see some bad things happen to people around me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, New York's like know, that, too. Mm-hmm. We were just, I was just living a very, very risky lifestyle, like precarious lifestyle, just running around, you know, being crazy all over the place in the city. And, um, but one of the things that I did in those years, and this is, you know, I've had people get very angry at me for talking about this because this has sort of become, it's like come back as like a Vogue thing where people believe that psychedelic drugs provide some sort of religious experience. Mm -hmm. And I experimented with some of that stuff in the Mm nineties. Uh, and, uh, in went pretty deep into it hmm. and there's nothing there. I'm telling there's nothing there. I, Mary just asked us in, <clears throat> I'll speak specifically about a single incident that may or may not have happened to me involving mushrooms where, well, what I actually, you know, it, with the, the clarity, just seeing things more clearly, seeing what was happening more clearly, like identifying true things you don't you don't think even one single I think it's incident? a trick i'm gonna be honest with you i okay. think it's a trick yep. and the I, metaphor, I, I the metaphor that i would make is yep. have you ever been on one of these like amusement park rides where they put you in a dark room and they've got like they simulate that you're falling like they put fil- like they put like a screen below you that shows you falling and you're on a platform that kind of jogs a little bit and they can convince you of motion it's yeah. like simulating motion. Or they put you like you're in the, you know, some of them are really good now where they'll put you like where you're in the cockpit of a helicopter. Yeah, it's the Universal does that almost exclusively in Hollywood right. or it, North it Hollywood. Trick, and it can trick your brain into yeah, it's really... It makes me carsick, but yeah, okay. Really believing that yeah. you are moving. Yes, definitely. That's what psychedelic drugs are for religious experience. It is literally dreaming while you're awake. It's a, simula- That's literally it's a what simulation it is. of the real thing. That thing that I'm talking about yeah, that, has, I can see that. that has convinced me of the existence of God, that feeling of the yeah. presence of God, dwarfs the psychedelic experience and isn't even similar to it in any way whatsoever. It's a, it's, it's a simulation. It's not, and, it, and I think it takes you farther away. I mean, you know, when I think back on those years, I have like really great, funny stories I can tell people yes. about crazy right. stuff that happened. Right. But at the time, 
I was a very, very unhappy person. And I'm at age 52 now, especially with embracing the presence of God in my life, I'm a much happier person. And I've told you this story before. My wife and I uh, lost our first child right at term. I think I've told you this. No. Maybe I have. No. Uh, we lost our first child. He uh, was stillborn um, five days before his due date. Um, they discovered that he had died in the womb. And uh, so that was a, obviously a very difficult experience for us. And I was in, uh, in my early days of playing around on the internet when I wasn't very political or anything at all, I was in a car group on the internet. It's actually, this is the first time I ever got quote unquote canceled. I got kicked out of this car group for various ideological and political reasons right before COVID because uh, people thought I was too conservative. and It was a whole thing. But anyway, one of the things that got me sideways with this group is one of the guys I had sort of befriended a little bit and I actually met him in real life was this Mormon guy who lived in the Bay Area. And we ended up getting in a debate in a private message conversation about abortion. And so I asked him the question I always ask people about abortion, which is, okay, do you believe the baby can be killed the moment that it's born? And of course, everyone says, unless they're psychotic, says no, right? Okay, so let's rewind the tape. At what point along the line, at some point, most people believe that's a baby. What we're really arguing about with abortion is what is that point? And I think... For people who believe that life begins at conception, right? It's that's why it's, abortion becomes a moral imperative. And so this guy and I, and he was like, "Well, I don't think the baby has a soul until it's born alive." And I lost my mind. You know? Oh, oh, uh, yeah. I lost my mind. I'm like, because he didn't know this whole story, and I right. said, "Oh," and I basically told him the story. I was like, "So what you're telling me?" So the day before, is yeah. that dead child that I held in my arms after it was born had no soul. I was just like, I was horrified. And now I don't know anything. I'm not trying to pass judgment on Mormonism because I know very little about it. But he claimed, I'm just saying what he claimed. He claimed that was a belief of their church. Well, but they, make, you know, you can make that a belief because it's, who it's knows? Again, fa I'm not, facile. I'm just, I'm just saying what this conversation was. Right. If I have to have a set of religious beliefs, yeah. I would rather have a set of religious beliefs like Catholicism that imbues life with the soul as early as possible, not as late as possible. Like, and, and that was one of these events that like led me to where I am today because I realized in this moment of emotion where I'm talking to this guy, I'm like, oh, so my son didn't have a soul. I realized, wait a minute, I believe in the soul. If you right. believe in a soul, how do you believe in a soul and not believe in God? Like if you believe a human being is animated by a soul, how do you not believe in God at that point? This argument about the soul, I, this, uh, it, you can find contemporary writings from over the past hundreds of years where when dealing with issues of slavery, colonization, indigenous people, they use that argument that these are not equal people. They don't have souls. They haven't been saved. Stuff like that, which is obviously totally spurious, if that's the right word. And these, so my response is, okay, like, do if you are insisting that you would not be one of the people who argued for the moral right of slavery or the moral right of colonization or the moral right of um, indigenous people having a no rights, then you you were you, what you're saying is when in doubt, anyone in the human family, anyone who is in not another family, but a living 
being that is in the human family, we should default to assuming they have a soul. Like, what's what's the downside of that? Why not have type, make a type two error where you include too many than a type one well, my error? Question, my question is, why do you have to even assume that? Like, when you encounter other human beings and you think about yourself, you don't feel the presence of a soul. Like, you, you don't feel an animating force in other people and in yourself that is more than just the mechanism of their physical body. Yeah, and they have moral imperative. And it's just, it's a ridiculous argument. I'm not, I'm not arguing you it. Mean, I'm just I mean, saying. I, I asked, I've asked some of this before and they didn't understand, didn't understand the question. Like, do you believe your consciousness resides trapped inside your skull? I also feel like the and argument. That seems crazy to me. Like, that's, that's yes, the opposite they of can't, all my You can't explain of consciousness. So, right. so it's why, not. Why yeah. would it be confined to your head? To a, a, yeah, a, a you can't explain bowl? it. Like, that's insane. But I do, I think it's important to like realize that people will argue and argue and argue about whether it has a soul, we just don't know, blah, blah, blah. And I would just say, or if it's a human being or whatever, and I would just say, why, if there's, if there's an argument, why don't we just err on the side of inclusion rather than exclusion until we're sure? <laughs> you know, well, and, and err on the side of optimism and meaning. Yeah, but because it's inconvenient, and and I understand that, or they say like they stand in the way of progress because women. But it's just, uh, in, in, you know, and I'm not even talking about laws. I'm talking about in, the ideology. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 embracing God takes away the fear of death. I mean, it makes life a much more beautiful place to be. It gives meaning to things. Yeah. It provides comfort. I don't want to. You're so much stronger, and you can. Trust people. I was a much any happier person when I thought life was just what we yeah. experience here, and then we we you know we go black, and that's the end, and yeah. you know we're just we're just these little machines. It's like that's why I think the whole AI debate makes me laugh because oh you think you think you think we're just imperfect computers that man can improve <laughs> right. on with it with, with a machine. Yeah, meet that's not, computers. That's not what the mind is. That's not what I mean. I don't know what experience people have of life that they think the mind or the consciousness is some some simply chemical reaction in a physical that's confined to the physical yes, obviously brain. Obviously, it can't be that. But the, you don't believe there's anything that we can't perceive or detect or touch around us? I mean, it's the evidence seems everywhere. But what what do you think about? And I'm gonna. I don't know if you're familiar with Cardinal Vagano, or it's um, or is he Archbishop? I don't know. But he's. He's a, a cardinal who comes out with these like tracts that, you know, are very kind of Trumpian or I shouldn't say that not Trumpian, but he acknowledges everything that, you know, I might say as a conspiracy theorist is politically true. So immediately came out about Ukraine, that we were wrong there. And I don't know what he's written lately, but he doesn't really actually get it wrong he gets it right and people rally around him. And I just, I have really felt like validated by some of the things he's written. And like, it's just too good to be true in my opinion. And I'm not accusing him of any kind of disingenuousness at all, but I fear that the, I fear this idea of a schism and I just, do you, are you, do you have any, Thoughts on that? Have you noticed? Honestly, I'm too, I'm too kind of buried in like figuring out my own yeah. journey to the church. 
like, I don't know that I'm qualified. Since I haven't kind yeah. of sorted out my own thing, I don't think I'm really qualified. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of call. politics afoot. I know, like, people now. that I know who have are have been in the church for a long time uh, have have said some things to me about that stuff. But I've kind of tried to stay away from it yeah. until I can kind of sort out, you know, I need to get myself right before I can start yes, talking totally. about what the church needs to do. Like, yes. I think that right now the church, I need help from the church more than the church needs help from me, if that makes sense. Yes. Well, yeah, you'll have to definitely put first things first. Well, uh, I was encouraged that our local, um, uh, I can't remember what the name of the entity is, parish council or something like that. Last year, they put out like a written statement on like transgenderism that really condemned transgender ideology as, you know, inconsistent with the moral beliefs of the church. And I mean, it's said, we have to pray for them and hope they find deliverance from what they're in, the, you know, the torment that they're in, but that the church does not endorse this. And I thought that was really, you know, that made me feel good that the church, at least locally, was standing within you know, against the tide of this sort of social pressure. I actually looked into a lot of the church's beliefs on homosexuality and uh, that whole area. And it's rather consistent with why they don't agree with birth control or in vitro fertilization or any of it is that really they come down on the side of uh, it has to be natural. It has right. to be natural. And if it's not natural, it's harmful and you or it's potentially harmful and they absolutely cannot support things that that harm the human body. They really can't. And and that's and it was highly I found that it was very consistent, the philosophy, because people thought, well, they don't want birth control because they want more Catholics, but they don't allow IVF either. And I have in my dealings with the special needs community with my son met so many people who's um have handicapped children because of IVF it's a, it's really um you know it's, I, it's, there's it's a lot of stuff, gene therapy organ transplants like they they have uh, it's it's not it's it starts with natural and it's respect. interesting you say that because i've only known one person that did it uh i had a, a young lady that worked for me when i had the law firm in california who had a child by IVF, uh, and it was horrible. The child was was uh, premature and had all kinds of, of, yeah. of health problems. I mean, yeah. I I know they were they were aggressively, but I mean, this kid was having surgeries as an infant. Yeah, uh, it's very very sad. It's very sad, and I, I mean, I'm not judging the people. Like, I'm not. No, not at all. I mean, I'm just saying these are really. You know, they're very, and my mother always blames the doctors. She's like, they don't tell you. They don't. They don't. They tell you there's something wrong with the kids, so you get an abortion. They do not tell you, which many people have said that to me, that they they were told to have an abortion by their doctor, and they didn't, and the kid was born normal. And they are um, just simply not, I mean, you cannot take chances with it. A human being like that it's well, i mean but i, I, I don't think, walk in other people's shoes so i don't know but it's just that's that's the church's position i think when it comes back to and what i like about that and what draws me to what draws me to that within the church that did again it comes back to that idea of humility before god that we have to leave these things in the control of god not in the control of humanity 
And when we start t- trying to take things out of, when we stop, it's, you know, it's like hubris. When we stop being humble before yes. God and we try to put ourselves in the place of God, whether it's choosing whether a child lives or dies or creating a child where nature hasn't done it. Yeah. That defies that, that humility that I think we need to have. And I think it's what, I think it makes us better human beings. And I think, you know, people who know me or who hear this will probably be laughing, but I think, but I, I think striving for humility and away from arrogance <laughs> yeah. is important. I get why they would think that's funny. this journey right like yeah you, so it's funny uh, I, i'm willing to confess to my own to to, yes. to to where i fall short like that's what a lot of this is about and why i wanted to do this is like i think i think a lot of sort of spiritual feedback people get or religious feedback that people hear about again in all spheres of media is i've done this be like me follow my path Whereas I, I want people to hear, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know how mm-hmm. I'm getting there. But right. what I do know is this thing, God, that God is real. Like I felt this, like I'm drawn to struggle through this and find this humility because I know it's real and because I know it's there. And it's hard. Like, but what life, what's, what have you ever had in life that's worth having that wasn't hard, that didn't challenge you? And this is one of the most challenging things I've ever taken on in my life is, you know, again, finding that humility and embracing this thing that I know is true in a way where, you know, I have to give of myself to it and I have to work at it and I have to struggle at it. And sometimes it's uncomfortable and it makes you look at yourself in ways that are not comfortable because again, it pr- it's providing you with the moral foundation. Our whole world is about as long as you're feeling okay about it, it's good. You're good. Like that's our world now. Right. And Catholicism says, no, there is, there are, there is right and wrong that's bigger than you, that transcends you, that is written by things much larger than you, that you must follow, even if it doesn't feel good to follow it. And it's hard. You know, um, I always think, I know there's an objective truth. I believe in God because of plumb and level. Like I see a building and I'm like, there's truth all the way up as high as, as, high as you can make, you know, the materials to build it. Plumb and level will get, well, you could practically build the Tower of Babel, but I actually think it's a testament to objective truth. And in a like personal way, having kids is a great experience in humility in that there is like all you can do when the when the the chips are flying all you can do is try so hard to be the best person you are to tolerate it to model behavior and and without guideposts to what that is i mean you would be lost you would be at sea trying to create that from scratch and these like tried and true like my mother's 94 and I just like want to be more like her all the time even though as a mom she she you know she's not racking up the wins on her board you know from every single kid she lost a couple of kids she lost a couple of grandkids I'm not saying it's her fault but I'm just saying you know she probably doesn't feel like uh everything she's done has like worked out perfectly but it's she does all that she can and she can only work on her own self. And I'm really inspired by that. And I went to confession once and it's like, I just have, I really struggle with faith. And the priest said to me, never stop trying. 
and I never stop trying. And I try in the church, not outside of the church, because a lot of people are like, I'll wait until I have faith, and then I'll go. I was like, no, I'm trying from within, and I'll just fake it till I make it. But I mean, everything about it says it's says it's true. But you know, when I just I sit there and I think, like, am I going to have like robes and have a face and have a name? Without a body, it's impossible for me to get my mind that around it. That part of it doesn't matter. That's not, that's just the that's that's the way that we process the unknowable, so that we can grasp it within the limits of the human mind. I mean, what you're talking about the experience of of the face of God and the experience of what we call heaven. These things are so they're un, they're unknowable for for the human mind because we're we're still trapped within the flesh here. So we're limited by the confines of the simplicity of the human animal, right? We're not all knowing by any means. So these, these images that you see of robes, an old man with a beard, or you know the, the, the pearly gates and all this kind of stuff, those, that's like the human overlay of how we describe the, how we describe the indescribable. We don't have language or imagery. Right, okay. So the reason I can't buy is. it is that it's that's symbolism. It because that's not it. It's symbolism by its nature, and I know it can't be true. I know it's but, not fifth dimensional. I know it isn't. Because, right, because it's not that, because it's it's something that we are incapable of describing. Right, okay. With, I'm going to try that on for a while, Anthony. I'm gonna, we don't have language for it in the physical world. But I'm going to try what? to free my mind of that, of the imagery that I've constructed to try to... When it's quiet, when it's quiet, sometime go out at night when it's dark, and just like look up at the stars and look around you at the world, and ask yourself: Is it really possible? If if oh no, I'm there. No, I'm with you there. No, how is this all here? No, I'm totally with you there. No, I'm totally with you there. The only problem I have is is visualizing a future not on Earth that looks like Earth, oh, and that's I'm a not, part of. It's not going to, it doesn't, right. it's not, it, Earth is just what we're, Earth is the only lens through which we can yes. perceive anything. It, it, it's the okay. smallest lens. So it's I'm like, going to try very hard to free my mind of that imagery and see if there's something a little deeper underneath that I can, that I can experience. Well, Part of the part of the humility is understanding that you're not capable of visualizing what it yeah. actually is. Okay. You're only capable of feeling that it's there. I'll have to see what my priest has to say. But I've never asked him this, but I, I'll I'll ask him. You have to let me know what he says. Yes, and I, I, he'll yeah. listen to this, and he'll probably. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know. He's a busy guy, but I may I may have to offer, ask him if if you and I will and I will connect commit, with him, and I will commit to going to confession. Wow. Uh, You'll love it. You'll love it because then you go to communion, which is so awesome. It's dumb because when I went before with that previous priest, I felt so much better afterwards. And like, I felt like very excited at church and at mass and like, I I know I need to do it. It's, you know what? Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we're, we're not as courageous as we need to be. No, but you'll love it. You'll love it because communion is so awesome. So on that note, I would like to, Thank you very much for being here, Anthony. And is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't hit yet? No, thank you again for having me. Uh, at some point offline, I should talk to you a little bit about some of the local legal and local politics stuff I've gotten involved in my little town here. Oh, I would uh, love to. There's some, there's some interesting things happening here that I think have a nice lesson about how to engage with your local government. 
where I've used some of the tactics and things I learned from COVID. But um, I don't really have, I'm not, they put me back on Twitter, but I, I don't have, uh, I don't really use it all that much. I look at it once in a while, but I'm not looking at it that much. But I don't, I'm not here to promote anything. I'm here to have interesting conversations with you and they always are. So and thank you for that. we always do. And thanks so much, everyone. Merry Christmas and have a very happy new year. <laughs>